Well, on behalf of the entire Forest Baptist Church family, welcome to all of our guests. Uh, it is a, a blessing to be with you to worship once again here at Forest Baptist Church. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as we prepare to dive into God's Word, we had uh, been in the book of Galatians, and we were deep, 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 deep in that that third chapter of Galatians. So for this week and probably next week, we're going to come up for a little air, to lighten up a little bit, but yet to still be focused upon the Word of God. And we're going to look at two individuals in particular these next two weeks and look at their life, but then also to learn what God wants to show us from their lives. These aren't just mere moral stories. Grow up and be like David and you'll be great. No, it's, it's God, what are you doing in the lives of these people? What are you showing us through their decisions? What are, what are you showing us in how they interact and relate with you? So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 30, a passage of scripture known as the rich young ruler. Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 18th verse, if you would please stand in honor the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. And Lord, at a blessing to the reading of his word, you may be seated. I'd like to entitle this morning's sermon, a decision you'll live to regret. A decision you'll live to regret. So let us go before this awesome and marvelous God 
and prayer and ask him to prepare us to receive what he has for us this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do come knowing that apart from your spirit, apart from the blood of Jesus and your countenance smiling upon us, we would be lost, we would be hopeless. But Father, thank you so much for allowing us to enter to your gates with thanksgiving and the privilege to come into your courts with praise. Father, I ask that you will have mercy upon us to allow us to bless your name, sinners such as ourselves, wretches, but yet, Lord, in your benevolence, your sheer kindness, your amazing grace, you freely allow sinners such as ourselves to enter to your presence, not sheepishly, but we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Jesus. So, Father, we ask that you would come and fill us with your spirit. Be in this place this morning, dear God. We ask that you would relieve burdens and break yokes and destroy strongholds in the name of Jesus this morning. That we would leave this place not making a decision we would live to regret because we had not chose you. So, Father, we ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. May you sow seeds of righteousness that will accomplish much and bear much fruit. May you open our eyes and open our ears, soften us, humble us, that we would love Jesus this morning. Now, Father, hide me behind thy cross with the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in the matchless, magnificent, and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know, have you ever made a decision that you regretted? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. It's one of them decisions that you look back on like, what was I thinking? Or it's one of those decisions that you look back and you have the I should have, could have moments. Now, when I ask you if you made a decision you regret, don't be looking to your left or to your right. You praise God for who's next to you. But when it comes to making it a decision that you live to regret, I have one moment in mind that just sticks with me to this day. It, it eats me up because it's still with me. I remember... Some, I remember some years ago, I was in Michigan working for an advertising company, and our client was a, 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 a major auto company, and it was just about that time where there's, it was a terrible economic downturn. And we saw on the news that the government had stepped in and, and bailed out GM, uh, bailed out Chrysler, and it was that last company left out of the big three that was still standing, and people really didn't know if they would go bankrupt or not. Well, you know, if, if a company is to go bankrupt, all those who hold that stock, it becomes worthless. So people were selling, selling, selling off everything. A couple guys and myself were at work talking about the situation, and they said, you know what, Ford stock is like a dollar today. I was like, a dollar? 
That's crazy. And I had that moment. I had an idea. It's like a light bulb hit on my head. Ding! It's like, you know what? I don't think they're going to go under. I think they bounce back. I should buy some stock. I had never traded before. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew how to get on the internet. So I got on the internet and I opened up this account and I said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to spend all my money. I had, I had it cleared with my wife. I was like, uh, what am I going to do? So I just took a little bit of money. Bought a few. And I said, okay, I'm cool. A week went by. News was reported that, uh, that they were going to be okay. And as soon as they announced that they would be okay, the stock started to rise. It went from $1 to 3 3 to 7 7 to 9 At one point, I got to like $15. And I, was, I wasn't excited. I was angry. I regret it. I didn't buy more. <laughs> to this day, it eats me up because I still got the stock. And I still look at it like, I should have bought more. When I look at it, the gain is like over 200% gain. But that, that was a moment in my life, I, I'm going to live to regret. But you know what, but it's going to be okay though. Because God is taking care of us and it's not like we, we really need that in order to, to, to live life. It's going to be okay. But sometimes you make a decision that doesn't turn out okay. Sometimes you make a decision that you will live to regret. We see a decision like this taking place in the text before us this morning. A decision being made where the rich young ruler chooses to hold on to his material earthly treasures rather than choosing Christ. Imagine knowing to reject Jesus is actually a decision you will live for an eternity regretting. Because in eternity, you would have consciousness and, and, and those who have not chosen Jesus, who have rejected Jesus, will be cast away from the goodness, the, the presence of God, and they will remember every single moment when someone shared the gospel with them and said, you need to be saved. But it will be too late. They will literally spend eternity, regretting, not choosing Jesus. Based on what we see in the text this morning, those who choose this world choose to reject Jesus. It's a choice. It's not, it's not a, a both and. When you choose this world, you reject Jesus. Unlike the rich young ruler, you must choose to surrender all to follow Jesus. If not, you will be making a decision you will live to regret. Here in the text, this account is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, those similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, the 19th chapter, Mark, the 10th chapter. But here in Luke, the 18th chapter, we, we see from his point of view just just, just what it means for a person to enter into the kingdom of God. 
That's what they're dealing with. That, that is the main point. How does a person enter into the kingdom of God? Synonymous with eternal life. Or how we may say, how, how can one be saved? How can one be born again? And the question is, how can I know Jesus? And all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus using encounters to lovingly teach the individual, individual but also to teach his disciples. This is such a time. And from these individuals' lives, from these divine encounters, God is teaching us something today. So as we look upon the life of this rich young ruler, I want to split it into two categories. The first half, we're just going to look at his life, the life of the rich young ruler. But in the second half, we're going to look at what Jesus is showing us. We're going to look at the lesson from the rich young ruler. So as we jump in and look at the life of the rich young ruler, I want you to notice a few things throughout that we see. So what I want you to first notice in verse 18, I want you to notice is the approach of the rich young ruler. The text says that the, the ruler came up to Jesus and asked him a question. And he, he, he stated, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Mark's gospel gives us added details in it, and it says that the man ran up to Jesus and he knelt before Jesus. He humbled himself before Jesus, a sign of admiration. And even so, in, in, in those times, for a man to run anywhere would have been, like, disrespectful. Like, what's going on? Why is he running? He actually is running to see Jesus. He's heard about the miracles. He's heard about this new teaching. He is like, who is this man? I've never seen, I've never heard anything like it before. I can imagine being rich and you get everything else you want. You get all the, the, the cows and all the land and somebody comes with something new. Hmm, I wonder, can I have that too? So he runs to Jesus. He bows before him humbly and he asks, how can I be saved? But the thing is, the Ruler, he was looking for a religious way into the kingdom. He was looking for a, a way that he could handle it, a way that he could get there in his own work. And a lot of times people outside the body of Christ may look at what we're doing on Sunday mornings and say, why are they, why are they so busy doing stuff for the Lord? People looking at Christianity may say, why do they have all these rules that they have to follow? But if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you know they're not rules. It's, this is love being magnified. We show up not because we have to, because we want to. We show up not because it's part of our, 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 our heaven package that get us there. We show up because we love Jesus. We love the Messiah. We love the Christ. And we come to gather corporately to, to, to magnify, to amplify that sound. Well, we, you may be in your shower singing all by yourself, but when we come collectively, that roar being sent up to glory says, this is my people. It's a beautiful thing. But he comes and he says, good teacher. Now, interest, interestingly enough, for him to use that phrase, really shows that he's not a follower of Jesus. If he was a follower of Jesus, he wouldn't have said a good teacher, he would have said a good master. He's on the outside. 
running up to Jesus. But what I want you to notice in the approach, notice that the ruler comes to Jesus and he even asks the right question. Beloved, you can come to Jesus, you can ask all the right questions, but that doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. You can show up and talk the talk. You can show up and look the part. You can run up to to find out what is Jesus doing over there at Forest Baptist Church, but just because you run up to Jesus doesn't make you a disciple. Just because you you decide you want to be in his presence doesn't make you a disciple. You're not doing Jesus any favors showing up on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, he did you the favor by, uh, by waking you up this morning in your right mind, allowing you to get here in your vehicle, keeping you from uh, unseen dangers and toils. So just because we show up, really doesn't mean we're a disciple. It's, it's like a very, very long engagement. Just because y'all just been together for a while, just because y'all been engaged for a couple years, doesn't mean you're married. There's just because you're you're in the same proximity doesn't mean you got the paper that says, even when I don't feel like I'm married, I can look at the paper and say, I may not feel like I'm married, but I'm married. See, sometimes in our approach to Jesus, we want all the marital benefits without the responsibility. We want heaven, but we don't want obedience. We want blessings, but we don't want discipline. We want the easy road, we want the high road, but we really don't want the valleys. But God said, if if I'm going to do something with your life, I'm going to take you high sometimes, but sometimes I got to put you over the fire. I got to put you in the valley." I got to refine you and and burn off some of that draw, some of that dirt, some of that dinginess, because when I refine you and purify you, that's when you will become my child. Jesus wants us to follow him, not to just hang out with him. So see that in the the approach, but also look at Jesus' response. As he responds, he says, "Why, why do you call me good? You know, no one is good except God alone. Jesus, a master at words and language. He begins to lay out a strategy to help the ruler understand what good really means. In other words, he's saying, do do you really know what it means to be good? But, But let me explain, because Jesus would have been operating off the Old Testament scriptures, and, and what he is doing, he's calling him to recognize the heavenly standard of good. 
not the earthly standard of good. He recalls to him psalms such as, such as Psalms 14, verses 1 through 3, that says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. He is pointing to the text of Scripture saying, do you really understand what it means to be good? He points to Psalms such as Psalms 34. And 8 where he says, oh, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Uh, goodness is not found in you, brother, but it's found in God. He is relying upon texts like Psalm 106 and 1 that says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. If you want to talk about goodness, brother, I need to help you understand that you looking at man being good, your moral compass is broke. The only person that is good is God. You need to be looking to him to understand what's good. He does that. He helps him recognize what good is. But then Jesus, he's doing this to help him understand that he's just not a a good dude. Jesus is not a good dude. Jesus is God. If you want to call me good, then you know what category you need to put me in? You better really recognize that I'm just not another prophet. I'm not a a traveling evangelist with a good word. But I, I am that I am. I'm the one that spoke and the stars flung into the atmosphere. I'm the one that had the spirit hovering over creation, ready to bring forth life. I'm the one that said, let there be, and it was. When you say good, you better recognize that I'm God. I'm God. All this from his approach. And the beauty in what Jesus does is, he, he takes him, transforms his moral compass, and then puts it back in play in his life. He says, okay, God is the standard of good. So let's see where you measure up. And he goes to verse 21. No, he's, he's in verse 20. You know the commandments. Bam. You want to know what's good? God is good? Do you measure up? Do you commit adultery? Well, let, let, me, let me make this just in lamest terms. So are you in, have you ever had a relationship where you know they married, but y'all are still having sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage? Or maybe you're married, and you're having sexual relationships with someone other than your spouse outside of the covenant of marriage. He, I'm just going to make it plain. And he's laying it out. Have you killed someone intentionally because of your anger? Have you stolen something that did not belong to you? Have you told a lie 
in order to cover yourself. Well, I, I, was, I was at the library. No, you won. Lisa's mama called. Have you always been honorable to your mother and to your father? He's making it plain. If you want to talk about good, let's see where you stack up. And what does the original ruler say, though? Lord, he said in verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done it, Jesus. I got my life together. I'm a good dude. And he says, he, he, he's done this from the time of his youth. He's speaking of, uh, in Jewish terms, the age of accountability. Uh, this takes place for a Jewish young man right around the age of 12, 13. And after, uh, we would know it in terms of when someone has a, a, a bar mitzvah. That's how we would know it. So he's saying, yes, ever since I have been responsible to keep the law, I've done it. I've done it, Jesus. He doesn't recognize that external obedience doesn't save. It's an internal heart and love. See, you can look all good and shiny on the outside. What, what, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, you, you whitewashed tombs. You, you look good on the outside. You painted on the outside. The, the, the trim is tight on the outside. But on the inside, you just a dead body walking. And we can show up and look the part, wear the suit, wear the hat, quote the scripture. We can really act like and put on like we have everything together. But Jesus is saying, but you're dead on the inside. What I want you to notice here is how Jesus points the ruler away from a subjective understanding of good but to an objective understanding of good. What does that mean? A subjective understanding says, well, I think. They say. He did. An objective standard of good says, God says. Scripture says. There's a different standard. We're not looking to ourselves to understand what's good. It is so easy to look down the aisle. I say it again. It's so easy to look at someone else in the church who, who's supposed to be in a position, and they're in sin. It's so easy to look at them, and they're like, well, look at them. They ain't got it together. Well, you know what? They probably don't. But praise be to God, that's not your standard. Because our standard, according to Scripture, it's perfection. It's perfection. Just because it may feel right, just because it may seem right, doesn't make it right. As I've told you before, with the changing jobs and this transition, I, I've been able to, to be home on some of our homeschool days. We homeschool our children, and, and I'm the math teacher. So on Monday mornings, I'm doing math with the children, and, and, I, and as I'm working with Nate, he, he, he's doing his math problems, but guess what? The problem isn't right just because he feels it's the right answer. The problem is, is not right until he checks his work. 
And when he goes back and checks his work to make sure he did the addition right, the subtraction was right, the multiplication was right, the division was right, when he, when he makes sure he has the fraction right and, and he has the answer, then we, we can look at them in the back of the book where all the answers is and we can compare, well, this is what I have, but this is what the truth says. I don't care what I may come up with. I thought I got it right, but unless the book, unless the book tells you you got it right, then what we may feel is not right. What's your standard for why you do what you do? Do you do what you do because everybody else is doing it? Do you say what you say because they said it to you first? He hit me first. They, they put me on blast first. What is your standard? What is, how does God say we relate to one another? With kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. We, we, we have joy in our hearts because of what he has done in our lives. We see... Jesus' response, but then we also see Jesus' request because he wants to expose the heart of the rich young ruler, so he, he, he gives him a, a clarifying commandment. He said, okay, you, you think you get it together? Well, let's, let's get real for a moment. Let's stop talking theory. Let's get in your business. And so Jesus exposes him by asking the simple question. Okay, then, if you want eternal life, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. What is God doing? He's exposing his heart, whereas the, the first standard, he was pointing to those that, the horizontal aspect of the law, the commandments. The, the commandments that were in relation to your neighbor. Do not commit adultery, murder. Those are the commandments that relate to your neighbor. But he says, I'm going back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods besides me. And he has him examine his own life, and he brings up money. Look at what Jesus does. He, this is a legitimate request. If Apart from Jesus getting at his heart, this is a legitimate request. If you want eternal life, then this is what you need to do. Jesus tells them plainly. But this is a, a twofold request that Jesus makes upon his life. Jesus tells him to flee and to follow. He says, flee. The, the God you really love is money. This is a stumbling block. This is going to cause you not to enter the kingdom of God. So you know what? Don't play with it. You know how we do. We're trying to get rid of a sin. We don't cut it off. We just try to turn it down. Well, you know, it's been a while. Well, I'm just going to do it one more time. Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to inherit eternal life, then you need to cut it off. Give it all away. And why don't you bless somebody while you're at it? Give it to the poor. 
Don't give it to your homeboys that can continue to support your habit on the side. No, give it to somebody who really needs it. And then he says, you, you flee, but he says, come and follow me. Follow my life, follow my talk, follow my walk. Become one of my disciples. Jesus is saying, there is no religious way into the kingdom. He's offering him eternal life. The bottom line here, Jesus is saying, he is, he is making a call to repentance and faith. That's what repentance is. Get rid of, turn from, go no more. Faith is, I trust, I believe, I follow. Jesus says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, then you repent and you believe in me. See, a lot of times we want the kingdom, but we, want, we only want one side of the equation. So we say things like, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. I believe he's in heaven right now. Well, have you repented of your sins? Oh, nah, nah, you know, you know, God knows my heart. You know, you know, he know me. We, you know, me and, me and Jesus, we got a, a special relationship. He, he understands me. Have you repented? Have you, have you actually said, I'm sorry, God? Because Jesus says, if you haven't repented, if you haven't fleed from sin, then, then you're just in his presence. You're not following him. Does, does your sin actually bother you? At this point, the rich young ruler, he has a decision to make, right? Will he allow his wealth to get in the way, or will he trust Jesus? Jesus is, is bringing before him that timeless question. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You can't be on the fence. You can't be in the middle. Will you trust me? And we see, verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Matthew and Mark shows us that he walks away from Jesus. His walking away from Jesus shows that he has made a decision, a short-sighted decision, a temporary decision, but yet he's made a decision. Beloved, notice Notice how Jesus makes following him personal for the ruler. He customizes what he needs to get rid of. We all have different issues. We all have different things we're struggling and dealing with. We're not the same, but we serve a God who is the I am, because whatever we need, he has it. And he is able to transform us. When Jesus meets us, he meets you where you are, but he wants to take you where you need to be. He'll show up where you're at, but he'll take you somewhere else. It doesn't matter your address right now. When Jesus will show up, but he doesn't want to leave you there. This request, he, he rejects eternal life. Lastly, we see in verses 24 through 30, 
Jesus' Jesus's, his, his revelation. What is Jesus doing in these next verses? He, he's teaching his disciples. He uses it, he's using this as a teaching moment. He reveals the heart of this rich young ruler to his disciples and begins to teach them about the impossibility of salvation through human effort. And he uses the illustration of a camel. And he says, uh, someone who is rich is, is as if a, a camel is as likely as a rich person being saved as a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He uses that metaphor because the camel is one of the largest animals in Israel at this time. And he talks about the needle, one of the smallest holes. Y'all know, it try, y'all try to thread a needle, you like, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible. Jesus is using this hyperbole to show you the impossibility of you walking up and, and, get, and saving yourself. Salvation can only come through the power of Jesus. Because what's impossible for man, it's possible for God. You must be rescued from your sin. You must be delivered from your sin. That is how salvation happens. So what does the disciples say? they like, what? Then, then who can be saved? Then who can be saved? They say this because in this particular time, to be rich was a form, uh, an indication that someone was blessed. Pretty much we do the same these days. Someone got a lot of money, they got a nice car, like, oh, man, you so is blessed. Man, Lord, he done blessed you. He done hooked you up. Man, I wish the Lord would bless me like that. Beloved, God ain't the only person hooking people up with stuff. Satan will put some stuff on your front door. He will put some stuff on your porch. He'll put some stuff in your pocket to keep you distracted from whom you really need to follow. So they were looking at the rich young ruler. He has it all together. He's kept the law. He's rich. Obviously, God's blessing is upon his life. If he can't be saved, then who can? Jesus says, one without a proud heart. That's who could be saved. And praise God for Peter. Peter jumps in. I'm not sure if he was trying to get credit from, from, from Jesus or, or he's just genuine. But Lord... Oh, well, we don't left every time. We're not holding on to this world. And Jesus, he acknowledges that. He says, you're right, Peter. And guess what? Those who leave house and wife and children and parents, those who leave those things for the sake of the kingdom, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. When you give up this world for me, you won't be disappointed. And he tells us why. We're not disappointed because we get the now and the later. He says, because you will, you will receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. Jesus is in the business of blessing now and later. I can help but think back to my childhood. Y'all remember the little now laters? See, I, when I was little, I thought they were, I thought they were actually called now laters. You know, it wasn't until I got older when I was sophisticated. When I was about 33, I actually read the package, and it said, now and later. I was like, oh, 
Didn't know that. That's what kind of blessing Jesus has for us. He, he blesses you now. You might not have everything you want, but he said, I'll supply your need. You might not have the newest whip, but you got four wheels that's going to get you to the job. He blesses you now. He wakes you. You might not be sleeping in a, a nice uh, California king, but you got a roof over your head. You got blankets to pull up. See, but even more so, he's not just talking about the stuff we receive now. He says, you're blessed because I've sent forth my spirit to live within you. I'm not outside. I'm not over there. It's not like you can't find me. I'm right there with you. And I'm going to live this life through you for my glory and name's sake. So that's the now. Ha! Really? That's the now? You take care of me? You provide for me? You're keeping me, uh, my mind straight? When I, when I want to go off, uh, your Holy Spirit keeps me back? Like, really, that's the now? If, if that's the now, then I wonder what the later's going to be like when I don't have to worry about going off. I don't have to worry about being sick. I don't have to worry about being broke. I don't have to worry about what they say. I don't have to worry about how I look because I will look like my Savior. Now and later. Notice how once the ruler is, has walked away, Jesus turns his full attention to his disciples. If you really want Jesus' attention, follow him. We worried about Jesus. I, I, where are you at? I, I, I need you here. Oh, Lord, help me. He says, follow me. You have my full attention when you follow me. I will teach you, I will talk to you, I will hug you, I will hold you. Hand in hand, on this pilgrim's journey. Just follow me. You know, there was a, a boy who was out playing with a bunch of kids at a recreation program, and they were having such a wonderful time. When another boy came up to him and said, man, we're having a great time. Uh, uh, a new park director had came and was showing them games and, and loving on them. He said, man, this guy's great. Who is he? He said, that, that's my father. He said, really? That's your father? He said, yeah. Then he looked around at everyone enjoying themselves, and he was kind of off to the side. He said, why aren't you a little jealous that he's out here playing with all these other kids? And he was like, nah. See, because I get to play with them right now, and I get to go home with them. See, those who reject Jesus can have all the, the quote-unquote fun now. But at some point, all this fun's going to end. 
Because the text tells me there's going to be a, a new heaven and a new earth, and only those who have the spirit of Christ within them will be able to go home with their father to enjoy him for all eternity, basking in his glory. We won't need a son, S-U-N, because we, uh, because we have the son, S-O-N, and his radiance will be shining brightly, walking on streets of gold. I don't have to worry about money in my pocket. I don't have to worry about paying my rent because there's a mansion with my name on it right now. We're learning from the life of this ruler. So when, when the ruler first met Jesus, it was all about him. When the ruler walked away from Jesus, he knows it's all about him. See, don't, don't walk away from this life when you find out it's not, actually not about you. Don't walk away when you find out it's not about what you want what you desire, but what God wants for you and wants to do through you. Don't walk away. See, when we look upon the life of the rich young ruler, who do you see? Because we have a temptation to say, well, look at him. Why wouldn't he choose Jesus? But when you see the rich young ruler, see yourself. See yourself. What area of your life are you the ruler? and not Jesus. When we look upon the life of the rich young ruler, what do, what do you learn? Here's a couple lessons, briefly. What do we learn from here? We learn that you can have good intentions and still reject Jesus. You could be doing good stuff, but still reject Jesus. You could have good behavior and still reject Jesus. You could be doing all the, the, the right things and still reject Jesus. You can come close to salvation and still reject Jesus. You can show up to church every single week thinking you're doing something right and still reject Jesus. We see that your decisions in this life will affect you for an eternity. Isn't that what we tell our, our, our children while they're in school? The, the decisions you make in school, your grades, they're going to they're gonna affect you later. You get bad grades now, you won't have opportunities for education. So I, beloved, our decisions now is going to affect us in eternity, whether or not we will be with Jesus in glory, or if you are a follower of Christ, it's going to affect how many crowns you get. You're going to be wondering, man, I wish I, would, I, I, I had been a, more, a, little, a little more faithful because I would have been able to give Jesus another crown. What crown are you missing out on because you don't want to get busy for the Lord? What crown are, are you leaving behind because you don't want to be faithful? Don't leave them crowns behind. We learned that those who choose Jesus would not be disappointed. So two things. What do we do? We must be a people who put down our earthly treasures and passionately pursue Jesus. We got to let some stuff go. We got to let it go. What are you holding on to which prevents you from fully following Jesus? 
Is it your comfort? Is it your pleasure? Is it people? What about your possessions? What's holding you back from following Jesus? Or maybe you think you can just wait until you get older to follow Jesus. The text doesn't tell us, but we don't know if the rich young ruler ever had a chance for salvation again. We don't know. But you know what? Maybe it's not what you have a hold on. Maybe it's what has a hold on you. Maybe we should pray that some of these chains are broken. And we would be transformed. We must be a people who share the entire gospel as well. We not only pursue Jesus passionately, we share the whole gospel. Because think about it. If someone ran up and said, you know what, I want to be saved. I want eternal life. And, and they start coming to church, and they start coming to Bible study, coming to community group, we'll say, oh, look at them, they're on fire for Jesus. But have we ever heard them repent? We'll share half a gospel. Just come to church with me. You just need to believe in Jesus. That's a half gospel. The full gospel is you are a sinner in need of a savior and only Jesus can rescue you. So repent, confess your sin, and draw close to Jesus. You believe. We're guilty of an incomplete gospel. Men, women, boys, and girls are headed headlong into hell because someone told them you just need to believe in Jesus to be saved. But what about, what about repentance? What about fleeing sin? When I see this ruler, you know, I don't, I don't see some overly arrogant jerk. I see someone genuinely interested in Jesus. See, but, but when he finds out it's not about him, he walks away. Don't walk away from Jesus today. See, but because if it was left up to me, I would have walked away from Jesus a long time ago. But praise be to God that he fills his people with his spirit who, who, who transforms them from the inside out and gives us a desire to even pursue Jesus. So this walk, it is impossible for us to do it. But with God, all things are possible. Today, do you call Jesus good teacher? Or do you call him good master? Repent and believe today. Don't make a decision you'll live to regret for the rest of your life because you never chose Jesus to be your Savior. Let's pray.